I don't know. I just can't work on one thing. So I've got a bunch of different shit going on. I don't know. I can't, I can't just read one book. I can't just work on one project. <laughs> I'm like friggin', I don't know what's wrong with me, but just how it is. I think there's a specific disease that people know about that. Is it's it called OCD? 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 OCD. I think OCD is the opposite. I think this one's ADD. It's an OCD, like a fixation disease. Whereas, yeah, it's where like you have to turn lights off. Like people have to turn like flick switches or check, you know, check a bunch of stuff. I don't know. Or like they they have to finish a project once they start. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. Mm. Either way, I think you're fine. What if you get obsessed <laughs> with multiple projects? I think that just describes this freaking podcast. Yeah, no, and I guess that is a good intro into this one because this is the Intervention Podcast. It's Nick here with Levi and Steve, and we've decided to take a break from either reading marks or doing research on the New Deal era or doing research on Israel and Palestine. So I don't know. We're going to try to slap an episode together for you guys tonight. As usual, there's a lot going on in the world. I mean, so guys, like what I'm struggling with lately is... And I mentioned this in the chat. It's just like the doomerism. And like, that is like, it's antithetical to like, you know, revolutionary optimism and things like that. But in terms of like the grand scheme, finding, I don't know, I'm finding it hard to find anything to be optimistic about, but I need to work on that, I guess, because I feel like, I don't know, I feel a little bit down lately, I guess, about everything. And I just watched 12 Monkeys, like I said, three times. And like, that's just about a guy who goes back in time and can't change anything. So <laughs> there's still going to be a virus that kills 5 billion people in that movie. Jeez, three times? Well, yeah, that's what I'm doing that podcast with Evan on after this. So good plug for Left of the Projector podcast. Yeah. I'll be doing The Hobbit with him next week. So that'll be a little bit more lighthearted, I think. You would think so, but they ruined the fucking movies, but we won't. I don't want to spoil it here. But you're right. I mean, there's not a lot of good news out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really depressing. I guess we could start start with the closest thing to good news, potentially. The Cornell West announcement for president, as much as that is a futile gesture, mm-hmm. that even the people supporting him start out a lot of the time talking about how it's not a real presidential run. It's purely to get ideas or concepts out there. And that's the extent to which I think I'll support Cornell West. He's obviously got some, he's had some very anti-communist ideas out there in the past, which obviously I don't agree with. But I mean, I really do think, and this is a point that Brett from Rev Left has made many times, so it's not unique for me in any way, but we need to break this, what well, this stranglehold that duopoly of the two-party system has on the psyche of Americans and their relationship to politics, I think, is a prerequisite to doing anything. And that doesn't happen overnight. So maybe someone like West comes in and at least, like you said, Levi, puts some new ideas out there in service of hopefully building some receptivity to a true, genuine working class workers party. Because I don't think the next step is going to be like a perfect workers party or a perfect socialist party either, right? It's probably going to be like a general working class party with militant labor unions kind of as like the leading force in that, probably supported by various, hopefully supported by various socialist and communist groups throughout the country. But 
I mean, I have not a lot of hope for West, obviously. And I don't really like the People's Party. They've got some really odd characters involved with that, with some really shitty ideas. But if someone comes to me and wants to talk about, hey, like this is like a cool thing that Cornell West said, you know, maybe it's got some like left populism to it because he is going to be, I think, decent for that. I'm not going to immediately launch into a tirade about Cornell West comments on the Soviet Union or something like that, because like that's not going to do nothing to kind of further radicalize a working class person who maybe gets interested in some loose left wing ideas from what Cornell West says. Yeah, in general, I think only good things could come from this Cornell West run because it gets people interested in the concepts, even if they or me or you wouldn't agree with him on everything. I feel like we would agree with him on way more than literally any other candidate that has announced up to this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you name anybody else that you feel has any better platform than he does? Who's the next closest one that Williamson? Yeah, I guess the spiritual advisor to Oprah is the next closest. (laughs) Not to be completely dismissive of her platform. I, I suppose it is pretty good. It's just, she doesn't have the record of Cornell West of at least being consistent right. and politically honest his whole life. As far as I know, never talked fake medicine to a bunch of gullible fans on daytime TV. Well, I'm sure he'll get invi- invited back on real time for as much as that does anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm not even going to get mad at like someone like Marianne for throwing her hat in the ring just because it's like, yeah, just throw some fucking chaos into this shit, you know? Like, yeah. Make people question the duopoly. I mean, that's like I said, it is it is the thing that we have to break in terms of how Americans engage with politics right now. Yeah, my favorite take so far in terms of its absurdity was somebody talking about the sexual assault of somebody I, I actually don't know much about the People's Party, but there was some sexual scandal and saying that like this completely delegitimizes. And it's like, wait, didn't the Democratic Party elect a president that had a sexual scandal while in office? You know, yeah. how do you make that claim and then claim that you need to vote for the Democrats? That That's utterly insane. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Republicans did it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure they're, but that's completely cynical on their end. They, they're, you know. Yeah. No, it's like you got to get through to the liberals on that side. But yeah. 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 Like you said, it's good news and it could move things uh, a little bit. And I think that softer approach that like you said, he's made comments that we wouldn't agree with, but I think that softer approach can at least get people interested at first and then hopefully radicalize them further. It's like the dollop. You know, they, they started pretty soft and they've gotten more explicit in their beliefs as, time's go- as time has gone on. They're still not you know, as far left as maybe... Well, they, they might be as far left. They're still not... They don't put it out there as much, but um, I, I do think that the soft approach helps. I mean, the, the, but then to go back to the like Doomer thing is like, we all know it's going to be Biden versus Trump, right? Despite the myriad of people that are saying they're running. It's just, uh, that's my defeatism coming out, I guess. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just reality for this election cycle. You know, that's just how it is going to be a Biden versus uh, the Eugene Debs, like Trump from a fucking prison cell. Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the most interesting way this election could go. Assuming they, both survive the election night. I mean, it's going to be morbidly hilarious, you know, regardless of how it happens. But I don't know. I mean, just to talk about West a little bit more. I mean, I know not everybody needs to go through this because maybe their backgrounds are different, things like that. 
But someone like me who came from like a more conservative background, it was really important, I think, to at least start on the basis of engaging with these more democratic socialist ideas before continuing on, you know, so I think it could be good. Specifically, I sent is something about him to my aunt. And I'm just like, you know, this guy might has have some things to say that are interesting beyond what Biden's doing right now. So I think it's useful for stuff like that. I, I mean, barring, you know, I mean, for me, I'll obviously support whoever PSL is able to get on the ballot, assuming that we're able to get somebody on the ballot in Pennsylvania. But again, something like that is for the same reasons where I think West might be useful. I think that would be more useful, but like we would never expect the PSL candidate to actually win the presidency. But if we can go knock on doors and say, hey, this is what this person stands for. And maybe we change a few people's minds about socialism. I think that's where it's useful to play in the electoral arena right now. Yeah, just in, in the at least light defense of Cornell West, he has taken some pretty good anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist positions in his career. The most immediate one that comes to mind is that like a little over or a little under two years ago, I believe he was uh, kicked out of Harvard for supporting Palestinian rights. Absolutely. He stuck to his guns. I mean, he left uh, under auspicious circumstances because Harvard is a I think he even wrote it, a market-driven university that has no interest in going up against anything that threatens their bottom dollar. Yeah. And he, in spite of being a fully tenured faculty member at both Yale and Harvard, was cut because he was threatening their bottom dollar. He did also speak at the People's Summit, which was the conference organized in opposition to Biden's Summit for Democracy, which is supposed to include all of the Latin American nations, but conspicuously excluded Cuba, Venezuela, and I think Mexico refrained from joining as kind of a show of solidarity with those excluded nations. And I think Cornell West spoke at that event pretty powerfully just to, and, you know, called out explicitly U.S. imperialism as it related to those countries. So, you know, definitely some good there. I think a good starting point, but I guess we'll see what happens, you know. It is also interesting to me, just as we're talking about kind of like this, the national psyche right now, I have seen some articles come out recently around polling and, you know, polls are polls. It depends on who you sample, et cetera, et cetera. They're not super reliable, but there was some interesting stats just kind of showing this general trend that even younger people and like statistically significant bases for a poll like this were actually identifying as more conservative, which is kind of concerning because, you know, I think there's a lot of hope in our sphere for like, well, the Zoomers are going to come along and just material conditions are going to make them even more radical. But I don't know. And it wasn't like a majority of Americans, but it was like jumps from like 33 to 38% are identifying as more socially conservative than you know, the past over the past decade. I don't know if there's any credence in a poll like that, but if it's true, it's a little worrying. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, we get, you always get trapped in spheres and your little bubbles and, you know, we listen to mostly podcasts that agree with us and everything, but I think like Tim Pool's podcast or at least, so his podcast, he does live on YouTube at like the same time that Tucker used to be on. So was that eight o'clock? East Coast time. And I think at least he claims, and again, this could be 
bullshit. But he claims that, like, in terms of like news programs that were watched in that time, Tucker was the only person that got more views than him. And if that's the case, that is that's pretty scary. And that would add to to what you're saying that because it's probably younger people that are listening to him, and you know, unfortunately, he is disgusting, you know, a f- fascist. So <laughs> that's uh, yeah, I I can believe that as much as I wouldn't want to. But I, I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, people push around those numbers about people watching people like uh, Tucker Carlson. But in reality, doesn't Young Sheldon on ABC get like ten times more views? Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this was the, news, the numbers so. we're talking about are so minuscule to begin with. It has more to do with the zeitgeist, yeah. and you hear people talk about Tucker Carlson way more than you hear people talk about Tim Pool. So he has oh, more definitely. of a sway over the culture. But to sort of build off of, I think, a bigger point that was being made, I'm really suspicious of these arguments about generational changes or even material condition changes, because fascism also depends on people being wrought in their material conditions in the same way that left radicalism does. I'm not saying any sort of bullshit horseshoe theory here, but when people are uncomfortable or in crisis, they look to alternative systems. And like you're saying, if Tim Pool is actually getting a large audience, then they're going to win people to their side. Because I, I think in spite of what the Twitter files or whatever BS is going on, I, I do think left sources are far more censored on platforms like Twitter yeah. than right sources are. Just the fact that CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC are basically pushing a right-of-center message in, in terms of ideology compared to anything that's left on Twitter. Yeah, no. And I think my point with that and Levi, you're leading right into it is to me, I think we have to look at that from like an optimistic perspective as like a call to action, right? Because especially in a place like America or really any bourgeois controlled country, but especially in America, given our history here, right? It's much easier for fascism to fill the void. So it's just, I think it should be like, we have to figure out strategies to try to reach people more and it's an uphill battle for us. It just is. But I think it's just a call to say, like, everybody's got to kind of do your part, try to figure out a way to talk to people to, again, maybe introduce them to Cornell West. If they're, if they're like, you know, thinking that something has got to change, right. Somebody was talking to me about RFK Jr. Because he's going to come in and shake it up. And we've talked about him a little bit too. And I said, well, you know, if you're interested in that, I didn't say, oh, he's a you know dumb piece of shit or whatever. I said, oh, why don't you check out Cornell West as well? He's kind of running like an anti-establishment campaign. Again, no hope either there. I mean, Cornell West could very well come out and say, hey, you know what? You got to vote for Biden, right? Which is just going to push people back to the Democratic thing. But maybe it'll at least spark some ideas with people. So I just think it says that we have to... Uh, Start organizing, agitating, and educating with some urgency if these numbers are to be taken with any truth. Because, you know, we've got people organizing outside of Disney World with Nazi flags as they also hold DeSantis flags as well. Now, I'm sure the right is going to come out and say immediately, oh, this is a false flag operation and stuff like that. But, like, I, I, I don't know if it is. But I do know for sure is that the far right really likes DeSantis. Maybe those people weren't actually Nazis. I'm inclined to believe that they actually were, given what's going on in Florida right now. But it doesn't change the fact that the far right is pretty cool with his and Trump's policies. 
Yeah, I mean, and the scary thing with the election, I think, is uh, as you kind of insinuated early, you'll vote for whoever the PSL nominate, and I, I think we all are kind of in a position that the way to protest these, you know, presidential elections and other elections, if if the two options are Trump or Biden, is not to vote. And I guess it becomes scarier when your options are Biden, which is awful, or Trump, who could just systematically remove rights from people and has basically said that's what he's going to do. I mean, that's the, the, the scary thing about who's popular on the right now, at least in, in the presidential thing, is they seem to just solely focus on these trans issues and LGBTQ issues, and it's just disgusting. And that if that is really what their plan is to do when they get in, I mean, obviously it could just be posturing at this point, but you know, I think there's a, a portion of people who are probably closer to our side that are going to be really scared if it's Trump and would strictly vote against him. Yeah. And I can understand that. Yeah. And that's how, I mean, and that's what Biden's going to run on, right? I'm not Trump. Yeah. And go ahead, Levi. Yeah. Just to repeat what uh, actually Cornell West said to justify voting for Biden. He said, what we got to vote for was a mediocre milk toast neoliberal centrist because he's better than fascism. And a fascist catastrophe is worse than a neoliberal disaster. Now we just got to come to terms with this neoliberal disaster. So he was never somebody that endorsed Biden. He just said, you know, I'm going to select this disaster over the other. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I guess what I struggle with is, and I'm probably not the best person to speak to this because I'm not trans. I'm not black. You know, right. I'm, a, I'm a white dude or whatever. But the question I have to ask the community in general is at what point is it at what point is is it not enough to say I'm not Trump or I'm yeah. not DeSantis or I'm not the next piece of shit? Like, at what point do you have to really hold the gun to, to their head and take the risk and say, look, you're going to be out of power forever? And I, I don't know if that matters to them right now because they're just going to continue fundraising and really continuing all of these same policies anyway, or at least not stopping them. You know, are you saying they as in the Democratic Party? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't even have like a rhetorical line that they're pushing anymore beyond not being because they even with this last fiscal cliff or whatever the hell they want to call it, they completely cut anything that they want to claim that they were passing. Yeah. Yeah. No, social programs were on the chopping block and the military got more money. Right. So literally, what do they have to show? They have that one check they gave us three years ago and... I guess the IRA was supposed to do something, I guess, minuscule. I don't know. I mean, I, I hear, I see this idea of like this huge environmental bill being bandied about, but I, I don't think anything super serious is coming out of that as it relates to climate change. I mean, what I am seeing and what I am focused on is all of these leases continuing to be granted yeah. to drilling companies and pipeline companies and shit like that. So like, again, like, I don't think... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Is the rhetoric still fooling limbs? Like, I, I, I don't know. But I don't know. I have a feeling it's not because majorities of people don't want either Biden or Trump, right? Yeah. So who's buying that language? Like, who, who are the uh, Pete Buttigieg voters? The people that want the language in a tighter, younger body, I guess. Sorry, I didn't mean to sexualize that man. <laughs> should be focused on his big brain yeah. and not that one Mm-mm. 
So one thing I remember that just came out, uh, I believe earlier this month, late in May, that kind of skirted under the radar. I didn't hear much about this, but there was the major anti-labor opinion that came down from the Supreme Court. You guys yeah. hear about this? It was eight to one. Eight to one. And that one was a Biden appointee. So maybe he really is the most labor president we've ever had. Yeah, that, that that's the case that they can sue unions, right, for loss of earnings. Yes, and Katenji Brown Jackson was the only yeah. dissent, and her dissent is actually is like it's really good. I'll give her that, and give yeah. Biden that, I suppose. Yeah, give her that. Yeah. So we just we just need uh, five more of her, and we'll be on our way. <laughs> I mean, but it is that decision is really scary. I don't know. I haven't seen it talked about that much, even in like the lefty circles online that we're part of, which usually latch onto these things. But I mean, you have to think about something like that and how it would apply to like this impending UPS strike, right? Yeah. Which is in the works, right? I mean, and that is one of the biggest unions or, you know, that is one of the biggest labor forces represented by a union in the country. I think it's something like hundreds of thousands of people. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but it, it is a lot of people. And then, you know, we talked about, I think, in our Marx episode about where kind of like the key centers of gravity in terms of making capital flow are, right? Something like consumer goods delivery is enormous, right? So these folks have enormous power. But if you could look at this from that decision that came down in that case, where they can say, oh, look, this is all lost business as a result of the strike, because I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but this is how I read it, is that like, Lost businesses, lost business could be considered damages legally as a result of this ruling. Yeah, I mean, it, it opens future court cases for anyone to argue, UPS, etc. And it's really troubling, but at the same time, it's like the NLRB can be uh, superseded by rulings by the Supreme Court. So although Joe Biden has appointed, I guess, the most radical NLRB since LBJ, it doesn't matter if all of their rulings can just be overruled by an eight to one agreement on the Supreme Court. And that's what these companies are seeing. In addition to the fact that as soon as the, you know, the railroad strike being a great example of, you know, the government's also going to rule on their side. So you have two of the three branches going against labor. And then when you think of the, the House of Representatives in the Senate, they're not supporting labor either. No. So the whole structure of government is against them outside of the NLRB. Yeah, I think I think we Nick, we talked about this with Mike on the episode where we he read through that Chinese what was that it was like a letter or it was like a proclamation by them about it, the US was their government. assessment of uh, US yeah, democracy. And I think the platform for either of these parties now has become we can get judges appointed. Because no one's really, I mean, they pass a few things, but with the deadlock, with, with one party having the House and one party having the Senate or, or whatever, and they can't get things through, I mean, the Republicans don't give a shit now because they'll just, they just get through things through the Supreme Court and just get things through the court. So it's like government is even more useless than it ever has been. And the one function now is just, we're going to get judges on that'll do whatever we want them to do. Yeah. And like, to, to go back to Biden, and again, we're just beating an old dead horse. But again, 
looking for reasons to actually support this guy, right? But, you know, there was all this talk about stacking the fucking court, right? Because the Republicans played yeah. dirty. So we'll play dirty, right? But, uh, you know, wh where's the talk of that? That died down immediately. Everything died down immediately. It went as limp as fucking Joe Biden's dick. Like, this is, <laughs> these guys have no fight. There's no fight here. There's nothing. So, like, why? I'm not fighting for them. It's all because of Joe Manchin and, and Kristen Sinema, right? That's, that's just their excuse. And he, gets his, and he gets his fucking pipeline. Yeah. Through this deal, right? Yep. I'd like to even reiterate to your point. Even if they did pack the court, this was an eight to one decision. Exactly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the liberals on the court don't have any greater imagination than the conservatives on the court in terms of protecting labor. They're just not interested. I mean, the letter of this court case is absurd if you have any knowledge or belief that labor and the, the ownership of the means of production have any equal standing. They just don't, by definition. And that's why these New Deal sort of legislations were pushed or forced was in order to rectify that lack of equality in standing. Yeah. No, you're right. And like, there's no better example of who this government is here to support, and it's not labor. Lenin said it. They're not a neutral arbiter of the class relation, right? Right. In spite of the rhetoric. In spite of the rhetoric. Yeah, he's the most pro-union president ever, right? Most pro-union president in American history, which... <laughs> What is that? I mean, it might be true. Who knows? <laughs> Even just to look at sort of the positive, we have somebody like Sean O'Brien that's now the head of the, the Teamsters that's going, I believe, to be arguing for the renegotiation of the, pro, of the contract with UPS. We at least have leaders of these unions that are taking the fight for real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's at least going to be a fight. And if we agree with anything, it's that any benefits that were given through America's brief experiment in social democracy, it was because of labor pushing, because of the leftist contingencies within the movements that demanded these things. They were never handed down by a president. They were taken by force. Well, and I think the big thing here is that, you know, we are seeing all these labor struggles rising up again. I mean, I'm doing that. You guys know I'm doing that Pittsburgh Liberation Radio on the side with uh, with PSL to try to, you know, just cover some local events. We're going to be doing like, I think this will be our fifth interview in a row where we're interviewing labor organizers, you know, and that's just to speak to that this shit is going on right now. Right. And from a leftist communist socialist perspective, I mean, our deal has got to be to try to get in there and forge genuine real ties with these people because, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot to be said of just kind of like a narrow economism uh, within a lot of unions, right? It's like trying to get, and that, that's, it's, it's good to fight for better working conditions, better pay within your union and things like that, right? But you also have to fight for political power. You can fight for power and better conditions within your working place, and that is all good. But again, as we've seen, out of, and we're going to talk about this in the New Deal episodes, I think, that can all be rolled back if you don't get political power as well to shore up the gains that you've made through the union struggle. And that requires a little bit more theoretical and organizational grounding, I think. Yeah, and it's sort of the benefits that exist now with hindsight is that the unions are not looking at the courts or the government as protecting their rights 
I mean, maybe that could change if, you know, there's some sort of cataclysmic change in the structure of our government. But also, there's been lessons learned from people like Du Bois. These unions are no longer ignoring the ethnic, racial, gender, sexual differences in the structures of the unions and the power that they're trying to accumulate. They're not interested in compromising on those kinds of concepts. And before, I think that there was just a general ignorance or even blatant racism around those kinds of questions. And that sort of gives me some hope that the union movement is no longer wearing their blinders that they were wearing in the 30s. And that that's sort of accepting the fact that they weren't going to ever be perfect, but it just really feels different. Yeah. And just as a microcosm of that, like seeing Chris Smalls in a left wing delegation to Cuba is good, is really good, because I think that's another thing that the unions in this country have lacked is like a real sense of international worker solidarity. I mean, it was beaten out of them. Yeah. Anybody that even smelled of communism was kicked to the curb. I mean, that's internationalism. Right. Well, I mean, just to get it back then, I guess, is a better way to frame it. Right. The Cold War is over. Let the new Cold War begin. And I was saying, the new one's just beginning. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. So... I mean, you're right. So, I mean, this honestly, this conversation is making me feel more hopeful. I just go through a sine wave of super optimism and super, like, I don't want to say depression, but cynicism, pessimism, I guess. But we just got to keep fighting. I mean, I could bring you back down if you'd like. (laughs) What do you want to talk about? Where do you want to go? I like the idea of thinking about Trump running for president from jail just because it draws obvious comparisons to Eugene Debs. I mean, like, who's going to make that? I mean, somebody has to explain that to him that he wouldn't be the first person to do it. So I wonder what his thoughts would be on Eugene Debs because he's not going to ignore it, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and just to give credit where it's due, I mean, I didn't pull that one out of my ass. I mean, although it's an obvious thing for socialists to think about, but Chapo said it uh, today because as Mike says, they get to everything first somehow. But uh, not that there's a lot of, not that we're like competing on even footing here or anything like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it is like, it's a funny thing for socialists to think about, right? And if he, it'd be funny to see if he kind of gloms onto it, you know? The comparisons are going to be made. Eventually, CNN is going to figure it out. <laughs> well, he is the candidate for the working man now, isn't he? So he'll just yeah. tie it in that way. <laughs> And will CNN try to paint Debs as like the bad guys in, the, in this in this comparison here? It's going to be hard for them. Yeah, I was going to say if they do glom onto it, what is the approach that they take? Right? Because like I don't know. Like first of all, I don't think a ton of people know about Debs. Not as many people as should do. Yeah. Right. But like Debs is like objectively like one of our great working class heroes in this country. So like, do you feed into that as CNN? Or not. Imagine Trump pulling on his more like populist language. You know, you could imagine Trump saying like, while there is a lower class, I'm in it. While there is a criminal element, I'm of it. While there is a soul in prison, I am not free. And neither are you as long as I'm here. And then you tell a MAGA head that he's quoting a socialist and they lose their fucking mind. (laughs) I feel like Trump would be okay with that. I mean, he doesn't seem to care much about anything else in terms of consistency. I mean, the only thing he's good at is marketing, right? So he'll just find a way to market it for himself. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this 
begs the question is, do we think he's going to go to jail? No, I mean, no, 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 no. I don't know. I think, I think there's more of a shot here than there wasn't, than there is anything to do in like the New York case by a mile, just because the feds are involved, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, it is, it, it's pretty crazy when you read some of the shit, but again, I don't you know, it's like New York, New York times stories and shit. So like, who knows? But dude, he did have like, and again, <laughs> he had fucking classified documents in his bathroom. Or, he had him in his bath. He had him in a bowl room. <laughs> he had him in a bowl room in Mar-a-Lago, and he could have declassified them, but he didn't. They remain classified. Like, don't don't they, don't they have a recording of him being like, "Fuck, I didn't declassify these." Yeah, bragging about not declassifying. Yeah. Did you hear what? Like he had some guy that he was like, he he said something like, "Here, you want to see this document? I'm not supposed to show it to you, so don't get too close." <laughs> <laughs> don't know he's just so fucking stupid like it really no funny is. though i mean like yeah it, it'll be it'll obviously be a disaster if he gets reelected, and it's dangerous for a lot of people but the humor element is pretty uh i don't know it, he he is he's just hilarious in a, in a sad scary kind of way but uh, you know again like, to your point nick as like a white dude who probably wouldn't any all the bullshit i mean as a leftist it probably would affect us but it's it's it, he is he's just funny because he's such a piece of shit not to draw in another sort of news article here but so sylvia berlusconi was actually charged with seven years in prison rip bozo right but he didn't have to serve it because he was so old so i would imagine that there's going to be some sort of deal that trump just has to drop out of the election and go into private life and be quiet and he won't go to jail because he is an old man. Yeah. It's easy to forget when we have a president that's even older than him, that people this old generally don't go to jail yeah. for white collar crimes. How old is he? Like 76? Um, let's see. 77. So he would be 78 come election or come inauguration day from his prison cell. I mean, as juxtaposed with Biden, he seems younger. Which is kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, the Pope Biden's like, seems younger. Biden's like 79, I think. That up, Jamie. <laughs> 80 years old. He'll be 81 on election day. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fucking farce. Oh I mean, the, the Pope is 86, and he's had bad health in the last few months, but he's always seemed a bit more spry than either of those men. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think there's some agitation work you can do around it but i think for my own sanity as again as dark as it is steve as you were saying i am gonna try to find some bits of humor because i mean like when trump puts out like a truth right like and i love fucking, i love saying that like he puts out a truth there was this one that really sticks with me and it's so fucking funny but it was like i can't remember what he was railing about but he lumped together, like in his enemies, it was the socialists, rhinos, Marxists, and losers. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just like, <laughs> it just cracked me up, man. Like, I don't know. It's so funny. I mean, the, the only thing is, like, I don't know if, like, I mean, the way that they equate Biden with socialism and communism almost makes me think that a lot of us will, like, be able to fly under the radar. 
just because like they have no fucking idea what an actual communist or socialist even is. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, just to speak to Trump's comedic abilities, I always go back to this like apolitical comment where he just like nailed it. Where I don't know if you remember this journey through hell where Elizabeth Warren is announcing her presidency and it's at her like kitchen table and it's meant to be very folksy and homey. And she says, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here to her husband. And Trump responded, it's their house. He's supposed to be there for her. It's like, yeah, why is she thanking her husband for being there? It's their house. (laughs) It's like, yeah, clearly this is like a fake folksy thing. And he's just like completely cutting through it and just showing that, you know, this is a fraud. This is fake. Like a good comedian does. Yeah, he does have a fun way of cutting through the bullshit, but. I just went to his website because normally you can like read his truths on his website. <laughs> the website, the, the front page is like a statement from him about being arraigned. And it says at the end, please make a contribution to peacefully stand with me today and prove that you will never surrender our country to the radical left. And you cannot go to the website unless you didn't donate to him. <laughs> the paywall. It's fucking hilarious. Is he selling like prison cell NFTs? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be great. You can donate $24, then you can make it a monthly donation. Get hell. There's so many poor old people get ripped off. Yeah. Oh, you can sign up to volunteer on his website as well. What would you do as a Trump volunteer? I have no idea. And why would you volunteer for a man that claims to have billions of dollars? You got a door knock. You got to you got to spread the word, brother. Yeah, they can't afford to even give you ten dollars an hour for that. Don't you love America? Uh, yeah, they definitely do. <laughs> Forgot. Well, I don't know, boys. I mean, I got not much more to say on Trump. No. Anything else you guys want to talk about, or you want to just leave it there? You guys going down to Miami this weekend to free him? I think it's for the yeah to. To free him, something about card carrying members of NRA are called down, or it's very confusing. He just wants people there, you know. He needs the support. It's going to be interesting and funny to see, like when uh, the Patriots that have the "Don't Tread on Me" and the thin blue line flag stickers on their car get fucking stomped for trying to raise some kind of like half-assed jailbreak for Trump or something like that. It'll be funny. Mm. I'm reading through his truths now. They are fucking hilarious. <laughs> Seven hours ago, he, he, he truthed one of the saddest days in the history of our country. We are a nation in decline in all caps. I mean, the last part is true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, I love how he always capitalizes the left, too. Yeah. I just find that fascinating. Does he, th- he thinks it's like some sort of homogenous group. I wish that were true. Right? That'd be great. All united under the banner of Lenin. Lenin, <laughs> folks. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I'm not going to go to Miami with, the, uh, with no. my NRA friends. I am going to be going down to D.C. to yell at Sleepy Joe on the 25th to tell him to take Cuba off of the state sponsors of terror list. You can join as well. There is a national mobilization for this campaign 
on the 25th. So I think there's events going on throughout the country, but you can check it out by going to the National Committee on Cuba. And I'll, I'll put some links in the episode description for that. But I don't know, just in like a real organizing sense, it's fucking criminal what the U.S. does to the people of Cuba, putting them on the state sponsor of terror list, which they were actually removed from, but Trump put them back on. Um, and Biden has done nothing about really exacerbates a lot of the difficulties that we place upon them through our blockade and the sanctions um, that we have in the country. So Cuba and the Cuban people are heroic and they're just trying to make their own way in this world dominated by U.S. capitalism. So, you know, if you're on the left, there's no reason why you shouldn't support taking Cuba off the uh, state sponsor of terror list. So, again, I'll put some more information out. But there is a National Day of Mobilization on the 25th for that. No short than a Leninist, Marxist, radical Islamist Barack Obama believed in bringing closer ties to Cuba. It's not even a very radical position. No, it's not. The current rotating villain holding up, taking them off the state sponsor of terror is apparently Bob Menendez of New Jersey. So any New Jerseyites out there, lend your voices to his office directly. Amen. Other than that, Just try to stay sane with all of us here. Do your part. You don't have to change the world all on your own, but you can do a little bit to radicalize, get out in the community, organize, join some kind of organization. That's all we can do right now. So just keep fighting. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks, everybody. Adios, paisanos. (laughs) 